Would you believe I did not even get one day out of this? My name is Kirsty Styles. This is the weekly economics podcast, and welcome to a very northern Christmas special. And as if 2016 hasn't already been a crap enough year, um, I have an announcement to make. This is my last episode of the weekly economics podcast. Being the very personification of the Northern Powerhouse, I'm sure you'll all agree, uh, I've actually moved back to the North to take a new big girl job where I'm hoping to try to sort out some of the economics issues that we've identified during my time at the Weekly Economics Podcast. It's been a brilliant couple of years doing this podcast, um, met some uh, incredible people, made some awesome friends, and I've learned an awful lot, and I hope you have too. I'm back for one last episode which is this one, uh, to look back at the last two years and 76 episodes and try to give us all some festive hope for the future. To help me go through the archives, I'm joined here in Manchester, finally, by our editor, Hugh Jordan. Hello, Hugh. Hello, Kirsty. One of the uh, people behind the scenes who's been making all this sound less bad. Um, and, <laughs> and to help us tell this like a proper Christmas story, I'm joined by narrator and small child, my niece, Emily. Hello. So we've been making this podcast since um, February 2015 and obviously a lot has happened in the 76 episodes that we've been recording this. Um, A lot has changed and the first thing we're going to do is just look back at what the big major events over the last couple of years have been. Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles. I'm here with James Meadway for the weekly economics briefing, the very first in a series of podcasts where we try to make my honourable friends, my honourable friends. Okay, James, thank you very much. That's as as clear as mud as always. That sounds bad. (laughs) (laughs) It was the night before Christmas in podcasting cupboard where a strange man called Meadway had knowledge to uncover. He said that future was going to be bad but couldn't predict it would be proper mad. Now you said to me about 11 o'clock last night that if the exit poll was right, you'd eat your hat. Well, this oh, is a hat. And now it's time for someone else to take forward the leadership of this party. And therefore I announce that I will be resigning as leader of the Liberal Democrats. Uh, saying that I am standing down as leader of UKIP. The Scottish lion has roared this morning across the country. The government I led did important work It laid the foundations for a better future, and now we must build on them. Together, we can make Great Britain greater still. So pretty mad to listen back to that now, Kirsty. A year and a bit ago, and we were about 10 episodes into the Weekly Economics podcast then, uh, David Cameron had just won a general election. Didn't work out the way we all thought it would. Um... I'm just that now I'm thinking, I'm just like remembering the Edstone. Remember the Edstone? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, so the last two years, um, obviously he, he um, wasn't necessarily expected to win a, a landslide and did win a landslide, but yeah, the, well, he's 
not there anymore. I know, crazy, crazy. And we thought that's what we'd be talking about. But I think that what ended up happening uh, were kind of other forces going on. And one of the big themes has been Europe, basically. And we weren't talking about Brexit when we were first doing this a year and a bit ago. It was it was really about what was going on in Greece. Um, and you spoke to Olivier, one of your favourite guests that you've had on over the last couple of years. Yes, Grexit. Remember when that was going to catch on? <laughs> okay, and what do you think the people of Greece are, 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 are thinking? We've seen lots and lots of people on the streets um, who don't want to leave Europe. Um, what, what, what's the kind of feeling there? Well, it's you see, I think the Greek society is starting to get very polarised on this issue. It's true that most people uh, state that they would like to stay in the Eurozone. But on the other hand, they also state that they don't want to hear about further pension cuts. They don't want to hear about more VAT increases. They don't want to hear about more austerity. So the question there, and this is something we don't actually know, and we could only know through a referendum, is what is the hierarchy of these preferences? This is far from clear. And what we tend to see in, in all the, the, the polls that are being done and opin- the opinion polls um, is that there is a very big class divide. People who have savings, right, are more prone to want to stay in the Eurozone because evidently, you know, an exit would be very problematic. Pensioners who depend on, you know, their savings accumulated through their lifetime are also very reluctant to get out of the Eurozone. Younger people and working class people, on the other hand, have absolutely nothing to lose from it in the sense that, you know, they don't have the savings. They, they don't have euros anyway in their pockets. Uh, they're unemployed. They have no prospects. And therefore, for them, the idea of getting out of the eurozone may offer some prospects. Not saying it will. I'm saying that's how they perceive it. So I think we really have a clash emerging within Greek society about these two things. Yes, I mean, <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, interesting that the word the word polarized came out there, and the differences in in voting intention uh, or planned planned voting around the EU and Greece, but kind of di- along different lines. I mean, we yeah, exactly. We were talking about Greece there and Grexit, but it turned out that actually a lot of the things that we were analysing were kind of bubbling under in our own society. Mm. And it's not until um, a year later when the actual Brexit referendum came up that we decided to actually have that debate. We went to the House of Commons to to speak to Caroline Lucas and John Hillary. We had quite the fun time running around there. Yeah, we did. We <laughs> let loose in Parliament. Security my ass. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it was it was really interesting because they, um, so um, John Hillary, who was the executive director of War on Want, Caroline Lucas, obviously, um, leader of the Green Party, they agreed on they, you know, disagreed on on the in 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 or out question, but they agreed on so many different kind of challenges that the EU faced. Absolutely, and so we recorded that debate the week, and it came out the week before the EU referendum vote. In this debate, we're really offered two alternatives, which were deeply, deeply unsatisfactory, unattractive and unappealing. And for us, it's a question of looking at where you're going to get best traction and what terrain is best to fight against the neoliberal programmes which have been put in place by either the European Union or the British government of whatever stripe. And I think that's where the problem comes because this isn't just about a fight against elected governments. This is a fight against a series of institutions and a series of treaties 
which admit of no alternative. So for us, whatever happens on the 24th of June, we will come back renewed with extra strength and extra energy for the battle ahead. We will continue to fight that battle with our sister organizations across Europe and indeed across the rest of the world. But the key thing for us is who, who are we most likely to be able to beat? Somebody we can see in front of us or a faceless, shadowy bureaucracy which nobody knows about. Caroline. John talks about a faceless, shadowy bureaucracy. In actual fact, elements of the European institutions are more democratic even than our own parliament. This government was elected on 24% of the vote. We've got an unelected House of Lords. Um, democracy needs to be tackled both in Westminster and in Brussels. I don't think this is simply a problem of Brussels. But I wanted to raise an issue that's not been raised so far, and that is the whole origins of the EU, which came out of two horrendous world wars when people came together to say that war in the future should be made not only unthinkable, but also impossible. And I think that the EU has played an incredibly important role in helping to keep the peace over the past 70 years. The EU, as we have it today, isn't an abstract project born of some kind of idle philosophizing in continental think tanks. You know, this was literally built on the blood and bones of Europeans killed in the disastrous first half of the 20th century. Now, I don't pretend that the EU has been the only force for peace, but I do think it's been an important player in achieving that. And I think in an uncertain world, we'll be very reckless to throw that away. Oh God, it's just it's just kind of haunting, isn't it? It's it, it, um, uh, at the point that we did that podcast, it was a debate. Uh, it is uh, no longer a debate, and gosh, it is yes, haunting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and so, I mean, immediately after that, um, after the uh, the referendum result, we decided to record. I think the, the referendum result came out on the Thursday, and then we recorded a reaction to that on the Monday evening. And I was actually at Glastonbury, so I was away for this. But you guys were back in London recording um, this podcast on the Monday, again with Olivier, as, as on the Brexit reaction. And uh, I remember listening to this afterwards and just thinking you sounded like really panicked at the at the beginning of this clip. Like, what was it like to record that at that moment, you know? <sighs> Oh God! Um, yeah, it was. It was because <laughs> well, we'd had the debate, and and actually they'd both made kind of reasoned cases, uh, and so I was, uh, I guess, comfortable that things felt like they were going to be okay. Um, but the very, very, um, you know, the reaction afterwards, and the, the such a stark demonstration that the people in this country feel really different from each other was, you know, uh, terrifying and unsettling and. And yeah, panic made people panic. And it came through in your voice on that recording. The British people have made a very clear decision. I think the country requires fresh leadership to take it in this direction. To those who may be anxious, whether at home or abroad, this does not mean that the United Kingdom will be in any way less united. The option of a second referendum must be on the table, and it is on the table. I will do everything I can as Prime Minister to steady the ship over the coming weeks and months. In the space of a few hours, the pound suffered its biggest intraday collapse since the era of floating exchange rates. Some market and economic volatility can be expected as this process unfolds. I do think that yesterday's vote speaks to the ongoing changes and challenges that are raised by globalization. Let June the 23rd go down in our history as our 
Independence Day! So a quick recap, first of all, uh, it's been, uh, it's Monday evening today, I should say. Uh, it's uh, fast moving events, of course, uh, but where we are right now is it's four days since the UK voted for Brexit. And since then, uh, as many of you all know, the Prime Minister has resigned. Uh, Sterling has hit a 31 year low again. Uh, trading has been suspended at banks such as Lloyd's and RBS, and both major political parties are looking seriously divided. God. <laughs> uh, I actually don't think I sounded as panicked as I thought I might have sounded. <laughs> <laughs> you were more relaxed than you thought. Yeah, chill, yeah chilling out on my uh, on my island. <laughs> but there's so much more to come. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, the, it's, it's almost still still debatable it's still a kind of academic issue isn't it we've got um people who argue that this was a very clear decision whereas some people say it really wasn't a clear decision uh some people who saying they regret their voting some people thinking that people didn't know exactly what they were voting for um hard soft brexit red white blue brexit yeah and all of those debates taken forward by a new government a new prime minister which we never would have expected in in the year before we've never have never have thought that would be the case particularly when we did our five years five years from now episode <laughs> exactly exactly so we'll have a new prime minister in that building behind me uh, by wednesday evening thank you very much i have just been to buckingham palace where Her Majesty the Queen has asked me to form a new government. Reducing the deficit until we eliminate it altogether and run a surplus. Many moments after the old Chancellor left Downing Street, the new Chancellor of the Exchequer walks into the Treasury. Hello. We should no longer seek to reduce a budget surplus by the end of the Parliament. We will have an opportunity at the autumn statement, if necessary, to reset fiscal policy. We're going to have not just consumers represented on company boards, but employees as well. There is an irrational, unhealthy and growing gap between what these companies pay their workers and what they pay their bosses. And we will make Britain a country that works not for a privileged few, but for every one of us. That will be the mission of the government I lead. And together, we will build a better Britain. Right. Yeah. So. Do do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just drop the mic Casual. and walk away. <laughs> um, yes, we did not see that coming. We did not see that there was going to be. Uh, well, we didn't see the, the the EU referendum going the way that the the because the polls hadn't suggested that. Uh, you know, we didn't necessarily anticipate that even if uh, the, uh, we voted for Brexit, that that David Cameron would would resign. There would be you know a leadership contest. Uh, and uh, essentially a whole new government from just 18 months ago. Don't worry, we'll take our country back very soon. Take back control. My silly auntie Kirsty was learning some facts, but some people were saying they wanted control back. We were spending and spending much more than we had, and people weren't equal which also was bad. So 
Yeah, Kirsty, as you say, uh, you know, big, big events gone on in the world over the last 76 episodes, over the time you've been doing this, you know, Brexit, change of government here, but also this, these kind of themes of control, um, taking back control have kind of gone over to the US and now we see the election of Trump. But what we've tried to do on this podcast throughout is while all of these events were going on, we would do special podcasts on them and try and analyze what was going on. But we were also trying to look at the undercurrents and the things that were going on beneath the surface that kind of led to those events. Um, so, for example, one of the things we did was this six-part series on neoliberalism. We debated whether we would call it the beginner's guide to neoliberalism, whether anyone would want to listen. Some people did listen. I mean, when we started doing it, did you know anything about neoliberalism? Was it kind of an interesting thing for you to kind of t- do that series? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm not a, a, an, an economist. You might might not struggle to believe that. But I'm not an economist. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not. Um, you know, necessarily uh, wild, wildly academic, um, and therefore going right back to the the basics on something like this was was really really helpful for me to put um, you know current kind of uh, reactions to things in context. Um, and yeah, we managed to make it funny, and thousands and thousands of people listened to it. And actually, now that we not because we did that, but since we did that, there has been much more of a discussion about neoliberalism. Um, you know whether people, you know whether it it exists even still. Yeah, we're claiming the credit for uh, in- for reintroducing that debate on neoliberalism. That's right, Kirsty. Um, and uh, yeah, as you say, we managed to talk about this ism that maybe we shouldn't have titled in our at the beginning of the series, but also throw in some econolols as you call them yeah. along the way. So I'm here, babe. Do you find it difficult to say neoliberalism, James? I find it horribly difficult to say neoliberalism. It's one of my least favourite words to say. If there was some other way to say it, then we'd say that, but we can't. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. And somehow people began to look to the state to solve their problems rather than solving them themselves. If there was another way, some easier way, I would take it. But there is no alternative. We've had a bit of an idea, haven't we? Yes, yes, we have. Uh, um, yes, something we've not done before. So it's six-parter. That's 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 been decided. Six-parter about what, James? About neoliberalism, about a, a history and a guide to neoliberalism. For okay. beginners, we're going to call it the beginner's guide to neoliberalism. Yes, obviously we 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 looked at the, this big thing that is uh, neoliberalism, the kind of big uh, feature of the economic context that we're in. But uh, I think what we also t- tried to do um, um, and, and felt was important was to look at things that didn't weren't necessarily like inflection points. You know, uh, news stories. It's obviously easy to look at something like a general election or or a referendum because you know they they happen at a specific time. Um, but yeah, we covered things like personal debt, which um, doesn't get spoken about a lot by by the government when they're talking about problems with debt. They're talking about public debt. But um, some economists uh, that we've interviewed think that personal debt, private debt, is is the next kind of big thing waiting to, to you know to crush people's lives. Um, and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> dark. <laughs> it is a boom and bust cycle. But you also get to the stage where you have such a big accumulation of debt that that's the final crunch. And 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 and, and also inequality. Again, it's not something that necessarily manifests at one specific point but it's ongoing uh, you know it, it um, spills out um, into all sorts of other issues um, you know it holds people back it means that some people win and some people lose and and that inevitably repeats itself unless we do something about it 
high levels of inequality, lower levels of growth. High levels of inequality, lower poverty reduction. High levels of inequality, lower levels of social trust. And yeah, all along that way, as we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, there was kind of this, as we say, take back control message that was kind of being pumped out by certain um, politicians and um, in certain causes. And yeah, I mean, that's really kind of been kind of the theme of the the episodes that we've done later on in this in in the last few episodes of this series where we've been talking about how you will take that phrase and talk about really taking control um of of the economy and 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 taking it in the right direction. So I think what's interesting is you know obviously really take control has has come into the media spotlight over the last uh, few months or so but we've been talking to people for a long time about um really taking control of our economy of our politics of our society uh, and uh, you know so much so we turned it into a um uh, its own little mini series really take control <laughs> we kind of need to ask ourselves why the slogan um taking back control was so successful in the leave campaign and i think most people now recognize that one of the reasons for that was that it tapped into a really widespread sense of disempowerment and disenfranchisement, which actually goes way beyond Leave voters and which we think that the Leave campaign um, shouldn't be allowed to own. So we did some polling of Remain voters and found that 62% of them think that the world is run by a few powerful people and that they don't have a say. 55% of them think that business and corporate elites have too much power. And 55% of them think that the economy is headed in the wrong direction. So, you know, we've had, what, 40 years of an economic consensus that promised that it was going to take control away from big, powerful institutions like the state and the trade unions and hand it to ordinary people through markets, um, you know, consumers, entrepreneurs. And that's just not what happened. Um, people don't feel that they have real control over their lives. Something's gone really badly wrong. Uh, and we think that it needs to be fixed. Our story's not finished, there's more stuff to say. We couldn't have it ending in such a bad way. My silly auntie Kirsty asked what we should do. Unfortunately, for listeners, we found solutions for you. So, Kirsty, this is supposed to be a Christmas special, but uh, it's all been, pr- it's, you know, a bit depressing some of this stuff to be honest with you you've been presenting this for 76 episodes how's your mental health been having to come in and talk about economics every week i mean you gotta laugh (laughs) 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 it's it's been an absolute joy to try uh and um you know squeeze some laughs out of what has been you know a, a dreadful year uh and um not always topics which lend themselves to laughter you've managed to find the econolols yeah i mean it's it's been interesting you know we're getting into we're we're not only looking at the problems we're also trying to understand the solutions um and um you know some of these solutions aren't you know it's not it's not flicking a switch it's not necessarily easy um but there are you know great people with great ideas working on great things out there um and uh, part of what we've been trying to do is just make sure that people can go away and get get involved with those kinds of things and and we particularly we looked at um we looked at elsewhere for inspiration so we ended up doing a 45 minute documentary on ecuador which took a lot of labor there was a lot of you know blood sweat and tears to make that thing but I mean what did you what did you learn from from that episode well uh, (laughs) I I mainly learned how much more difficult it seems to make longer podcasts (laughs) and uh, (laughs) big shout out to James our producer (laughs) Um, but yeah um, 
this is a little country that was trying to take on neoliberalism head on. Here in Ecuador, the, and when there's traffic, people are frustrated, they start honking their, their horns and beeping and beeping and there's lots of noise in the street. And that Monday, nobody, nobody honked their horns. Nobody beeped. Everybody knew that Ecuador was going to change, that it was serious this time. This government is basically an economist's government, and I don't know if you can find so many heterodox economists in one government. It is this uh, tropical paradise. Everyone's obviously heard of the Galapagos Islands, um, but they've also got the Himalayas there and a whole bunch of other stuff. They, def- they definitely don't have the Himalayas oh, there. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> we met up with loads of government ministers, activists and campaigners. I love that that's what people do for fun. <laughs> When you have seven presidents in ten years, complete chaos, two million migrants leaving the country in a period of five years, it smells of failed state. Poverty was at sort of 45% by the year 2000, growing inequality, growing unemployment. What's really going on in Ecuador is a battle for power, really. What the Ecuadorian example shows is that austerity doesn't have to be the way. And actually, I think one of the you know the best things to come out of of doing this podcast is getting to actually talk to people who genuinely do have solutions to some of the challenges that we face. You know, Yuan, who came on to talk about uh, rethinking economics, changing the um, economics curriculum. So it's uh, really seeing how economics as a discipline failed us as educators and as students. That led me to want to make some change. Um, Emily Kemway, she came on to tell us about the tax system as it stands and some solutions to the problems with the global tax system. So we've got FTSE listed companies and they've all been through a really rigorous assessment to show that they're being transparent on tax, but also that they're paying the right amount of tax in the right place at the right time. Um, Mika, uh, who came on to talk about um, energy co-ops. People get engaged when they see a relevance to their life. And ultimately, it's like politics. We should have a say when we want to have a say. And it's the same with energy. We covered housing on on several different occasions, catching up with Alice and Seb most recently. I think that the more projects like the one Seb is involved in are inevitably going to spring up. And I think we need to be doing more to support them. Uh, yeah, so we've you know we've we've covered lots of um, big big meaty topics, um, and um, you know met up with people who've 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 started to work on who are working kind of tirelessly in the background against you know huge global forces to try and address some of these these challenges. So, Kirsty, given that we have had so many people on here talking about solutions within those kind of seventy six episodes that we've done. Are you are you hopeful for the future? Having heard all of those kind of suggestions for how we can change the world, <laughs> hope hope is a strong word. <laughs> um, you know, I um, I have learned an awful lot, and, and I genuinely hope that others have too, because it is you know through understanding you know these big economic and political issues that we can start to understand you know how we can start to address the problems. Um, I think it's been wonderful to hear from um, from particularly uh, lots of younger um, campaigners working in great organisations or you know creating their own organizations um which in some way address uh, some of the problems and and often in 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 uh, kind of localized type ways what 
I think I'm sad about is that young people aren't really involved in the kind of the the, the bigger debates and we don't see them a lot in politics uh, and um, and we don't we don't see them voting in big numbers uh, and therefore we don't see their, their um, kind of values or their preferences represented in things like the US election results or the EU referendum results uh, you know by and large and so you know I'm, I, I know that, that we've got a lot of great campaigners here you know um, within the New Economics Foundation's network and you know lots of lots of people who, who want things to be good for them in the future you know great social care system great nhs great education system and so we kind of have to step up it's it, you know we have to really take control if you will. <laughs> <laughs> on message and a positive call to action uh to end your time Kirsty. this is the end this is the end of your final episode you know, we're really sad <laughs> and you've done an amazing job and it's been amazing to work with you all over all of this time and from me and James our producer and everyone at the New Economics Foundation uh, we just all want to say thank you so much uh, <laughs> for doing this with us and uh, bringing the Econolols and your uh, what is it lively engaging personality I think the Guardian said so thank you so much for that and I want to hand over to give you the final word would you believe I did not even get one date out of this? <laughs> but we got a lot of good dating anecdotes for the start of our episodes. <laughs> yeah. That's the important thing. Um, yeah, I mean, that's very, very kind of you to say here. I've had an absolutely fab uh, time doing this. Uh, you managed to like cut out all the bits where I was grumpy and swearing. So that's been, that's been really great because you painted a picture of me being lively and engaging when I actually probably <laughs> not always either of those things um you know so i just want to say thank you very much for all the support there's been you know we've had some great reviews uh, i've met an awful lot of inverted commas fans uh who go oh my god you're the Kirsty styles so that has just been incredibly surreal for me to be an economics icon of some kind <laughs> um so uh, yeah it's just been it has been incredible and um do not worry everybody um the north is is but two hours away uh, and people here are kind so if anybody fancies, fancies a day trip, uh, wants uh, someone to show them the uh, show them the ropes, yeah, they're very welcome to come and join me. And I might well be around to do some more stuff uh, with the New Economics Foundation and indeed the Weekly Economics Podcast in the future. So stay tuned, but not right now because I am leaving now. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Kirsty. <laughs> Last word. <laughs> If you celebrate Christmas, um, then uh, have a very good Christmas and and a happy New Year. Um, if you, you know, if you're as depressed as everybody else is, just you know, keep spirits up. <laughs> she hopped on a train as quick as a mouse. She was off to work in Northern Powerhouse. After five years in London, time for a new fight. Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Very good. Go!